You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Tracking Ocean Lotus, U.S. advisory warns of cyber threats active against schools trying to deliver distance learning. Adrazek joins credential harvesting in adware. Mount Locker's criminal affiliate program. The FCC takes action against Chinese companies deemed security risks, predictions, and holiday advice. Johannes Ulrich from the Sands Technology Institute wonders what's in your clipboard. Our guest is Nina Jankowitz from the Wilson Center on her new book, How to Lose the Information War, Russia, Fake News, and the Future of Conflict, and internship opportunities at CISA. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, December 11th, 2020. Reuters reports that Facebook has associated the Vietnamese threat actor Ocean Lotus, APT32, to a company in Ho Chi Minh City, Cyber One Group. Cyber One Group said on their now-suspended Facebook page, we are not Ocean Lotus. It's a mistake. Vietnam's foreign ministry hasn't responded to inquiries from Reuters, but Hanoi has in the past denied any connection with or responsibility for Ocean Lotus. The attribution is unusual in its unambiguous association of a cyber espionage group with a contractor. Facebook, which has been squabbling with the government of Vietnam over content control, declined to give a detailed account of its evidence, saying that doing so would impair its ability to track Ocean Lotus in the future. A joint cybersecurity advisory from the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the FBI, and the multi-state ISAC yesterday warned that cyber attacks on schools have become increasingly widespread as kindergarten through 12 systems attempt remote instruction during the pandemic, The advisory singles out ransomware, with Ryuk, Maze, Nephilim, AKO, and Sodinokibi being among the most commonly observed strains. Trojans, especially Zeus and Schleyer, distributed denial-of-service attacks, often by DDoS-for-hire gangs, and video conference disruptions as the most prevalent threats. The agencies urge schools to follow a familiar set of best practices to help secure themselves, as the pandemic continues to stress their systems, teachers and staff and students and the families of all these. Microsoft 365 Defender Research Team has released a study of Androzek, browser-modifying malware that affects most, if not all, major browsers. The researchers say that Microsoft Edge, Google Chrome, Yandex Browser, and Mozilla Firefox are all subject to modification. It's adware, 
quote, Adrazek adds browser extensions, modifies a specific DLL per target browser, and changes browser settings to insert additional unauthorized ads into web pages, often on top of legitimate ads from certain engines. Microsoft 365 says, adding that the intended effect is for users searching for certain keywords to inadvertently click on these malware-inserted ads, which lead to affiliate pages. The attackers earn through affiliate advertising programs, which pay by the amount of traffic referred to sponsored affiliate pages. End quote. Adrozec is usually distributed as a drive-by download. It modifies browser settings, including security settings. Like most forms of adware, Adrozec gets revenue from the referrals it generates. That's normally considered a fairly low-grade threat, obnoxious and profligate of resources, but not really a high-end, high-risk threat. But in Adrozec's case, the adware also steals credentials, and that's a serious matter indeed. So it seems that adware is following the path ransomware took, the original crime continues, and is then joined by additional malignant functionality. If this becomes a trend, and there's no reason to think it won't, adware may increasingly be accompanied by credential harvesting, in the way the ransomware is now routinely accompanied by information theft, as well as data encryption. Researchers at BlackBerry are describing the latest ransomware-as-a-service development, Mount Locker Ransomware combines traditional encryption with data theft to add more heft to the extortion and is being run in an affiliate campaign. The researchers describe it as simple, lightweight, and efficient ransomware. The operators work quickly against their targets and they appear to be gaining more criminal market share. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission yesterday took two actions against Chinese companies— the first requires carriers receiving federal funds to remove and replace equipment that poses a security risk. The second begins the process of revoking China Telecom's authorization to operate in the U.S. As you might expect, we've been receiving a lot of notes on the pandemic's opportunities for bad actors, common sense about shopping securely during the holidays, and some CISA internship opportunities— and to summarize what the social engineers are going to do, it's like this. They'll take you to a high place, show you all the kingdoms of the earth, and so on. That's the kind of FOMAs being tried before. Don't let it work on you either. That unbelievable offer of a stupendous deal if you work as a secret shopper? It may look like a beacon of light, but trust us, it's coming from a very dark place. So beyond being taken to a high place, expect more COVID-19 vaccine scams and more criminal collaboration. Checkpoint finds that malign activity keyed to the pandemic is assuming three general forms, cyber espionage directed at researchers and pharmaceutical companies engaged in vaccine development, phishing and waterholing domains with a COVID-19 theme, and finally, bare-faced scams hawking bogus treatments. Proofpoint, for its part, foresees more ransomware hitting cloud repositories, the continuing threat of social engineering, a relative abatement but not disappearance of business email compromise and growing collaboration among criminal groups. The winter holidays are upon us. Hanukkah began yesterday evening and will end next Friday evening. Christmas is just two weeks away. So last-minute shoppers are finding time closing in on them. Risk IQ has published its holiday e-commerce blacklist threat report for 2020, 
The size of the opportunity would seem to explain why the threat is so active this time of year. Risk IQ says that 30% of all retail sales occur between Black Friday and Christmas, that there's a 35% rise predicted in U.S. e-commerce sales compared to last year, probably reinforced by pandemic-driven social isolation, and that 83% of shoppers will spend 50% of their budget online. Finally, it's neither a trend nor a holiday security story, but since applications close in early January, this is a seasonal story. Students interested in an internship at the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency may wish to explore some recently announced opportunities. The agency is offering student trainee positions in IT management in several pay ranges. You'll find links to the job announcements, which are too long to speak here in today's CyberWire Daily News Briefing. You can find that on our website, thecyberwire.com. The jobs are open to high school students, undergraduates, and grad students. And a tip of the hat to the folks over at Cat's Eye who tipped us off to the opportunity. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. My guest today is Nina Jankowitz, disinformation fellow and former Fulbright Clinton public policy fellow from the Wilson Center. Her new book is titled How to Lose the Information War, Russia, Fake News, and the Future of Conflict. 
So I was living in Ukraine in 2016 and 2017 when the U.S. election was happening and all the revelations about Russian interference in the election came to light. And I was working as a strategic communications advisor to the foreign ministry of Ukraine under the auspices of a Fulbright Fellowship. And being there basically on the front lines of the information war, you know, Ukraine has been dealing with this stuff more in a concentrated way since 2014 and and 2013 when the Euromaidan revolution began and Russia illegally annexed the Crimean Peninsula and invaded Eastern Ukraine, the Donbass. So they're very familiar with these tactics, as are a lot of other Central and Eastern European nations in the Baltic states, places like Poland, the Czech Republic. And I just felt that, you know, watching the U.S. response, which was really categorized by a lot of hubris, uh, you know, it was a lot of how could this have happened to us when things like this had been happening in Central and Eastern Europe for the past 10 to 15 years, I really felt that there was a lot that we, the United States, could learn from our allies in Central and Eastern Europe. And that's what the book looks at. Uh, Five different Central and Eastern European countries, Estonia, the Republic of Georgia, Ukraine, Czech Republic, and Poland, and how they responded to the threat of Russian disinformation and increasingly to the threat of domestic disinformation as well. Well, take us through what you've outlined here. I mean, what were some of the key ways that these nations dealt with this issue of uh, Russian information operations? So one of the most important things is that they all recognize that it's a problem, which I don't think that we can say for the United States, frankly. I mean, mm. I did a hearing a couple of weeks ago for the House Intelligence Committee and only the Democrats showed up. It was a hearing on disinformation and conspiracy theories ahead of the election. And the Republicans just did not deign to to make an appearance. And that's very saddening to me because I've briefed Republicans on the Hill before. They, they care about these issues, but it has become so politicized to even talk about disinformation, particularly in the context of Russia. And that leaves us vulnerable, frankly. Uh, over the past four years, we've done very little to raise the costs for actors like Russia who are using disinformation to achieve their policy goals, to affect and influence our political conversations. And the fact that we're allowing it to be politicized and not even addressing the lowest hanging fruit in terms of dealing with the problem, like transparency around political ads and mandating that through Congress, just shows how difficult this problem is to solve when you don't recognize that it's a problem. Are you optimistic? Do you think we have a a chance at getting control over this to to the point where it's, uh, you know, not not the issue that it is today? It would be hard for me to get out of bed in the morning if I didn't think we could do something about it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, there are a lot of things that we haven't even entertained yet. Over the past four years, we really have not seen a good faith effort by the U.S. government to tackle this problem. We have seen parts of the U.S. government dealing with it, in particular, you know, the folks at the Department of Homeland Security, uh, Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency have done some really valiant work, but they're a small team and they're underfunded. There are other similar teams across the government. If we had a united strategy that was bringing together the best brains in, you know, Russia policy, cyber policy, strategic communications in a node in the federal government, I'd feel a lot better. But as it is right now, we don't have that sort of joined up policy. That's a problem. The politicization of this issue, as I mentioned before, remains an impediment to creating policy at the congressional level. And we've not seen really any sort of consensus building in the 
cross-sector environment. So either between public-private partnership with the social media platforms or bringing in civil society organizations as well who are looking out for things like rights to free speech and human rights online. I think there are so many smart people who are working on these issues in the United States that, yes, we we can absolutely make a dent. But the reality is that we have been tardy and our responses have been in the international realm tertiary to uh, a lot of what our allies is doing. We are absolutely falling behind and um, in some cases abdicating our responsibility to the rest of the world as the place that hosts these platforms where so much disinformation spreads to do something about this. So I think the clock is ticking and hopefully we don't tarry too much longer because this is an issue that is getting more concerning by the day. Our thanks to Nina Jankowicz for joining us. The book is titled How to Lose the Information War, Russia, Fake News and the Future of Conflict. Don't forget we have extended versions of many of our CyberWire interviews as part of CyberWire Pro. You can find out more about that on our website, thecyberwire.com. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the SANS Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's great to have you back. Um, today we are talking about clipboards, and I have to admit that I am a bit of a clipboard nerd in that I use a clipboard manager and uh, it has greatly enhanced my lifestyle uh, so I'm very interested to hear that you have set your sights on uh, some issues with clipboards. Uh, what are you going to teach me today? Yeah, that's uh, really something our handler, uh, Rob Vanbrink here, has researched in detail. And that's, well, uh, malware is actually going after your clipboard because you, know, you have a lot of interesting things in your clipboard. Uh, mm. It may be passwords that you copy-pasted from a password manager. It may be an account number. Uh, for example, there is malware that goes after crypto coin addresses and such that you uh, may copy-paste because they're way too long to type them uh, directly. And there are now a couple ways uh, how software is trying to prevent some of these attacks. Uh, for example, some password managers, they'll try to clear the clipboard after uh, you copy the password. So you copy the password, you paste in your browser, then the password manager deletes or erases uh, that uh, password from the clipboard, which may or may not work, actually. And yeah. you're a clipboard nerd. I'm not sure if you enable that clipboard history feature, yeah. <laughs> which right. uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of gets a little bit in the way there, uh, yeah. because clipboard history means, well, that cleared password is now just being added instead of uh, overriding uh, the the password that you have, so right. it's a, now you, it's a now handy have... <laughs> database. Yeah, handy database to all the keys to my kingdom. Exactly, and uh, malware has certainly figured it out. Now, uh, from a defensive point of view, uh, you can of course monitor what software is accessing the clipboard. And uh, iOS, uh, you know, Apple's operating system, he has taken a little bit of the lead here. Uh, not sure if you noticed this, but. Uh, in iOS 14, the latest version of iOS, uh, you'll get a little alert whenever some software is accessing uh, your your clipboard. Actually, uh, mm -hmm. I think it was LinkedIn or a couple other 
a piece of software and it sort of got to trouble for doing just that. They call it sort of monitor your net for your your clipboard, just like malware does. Right, right. <laughs> um, now on other platforms like uh, you know Windows and such, of course, we don't have it in the operating system like this. But uh, Microsoft's Sysmon tool actually just recently added um, a feature that uh, will also monitor what software is using your clipboard. And the nice thing with Sysmon is Sysmon is a tool that you can install on your Windows uh, systems, and you can tell it to report back to like you know your uh, security monitoring console and such what's happening on the system uh, now. You better set up some decent rules as you're not getting flooded with alerts, but mm. um, uh, you can basically have it alert you uh, centrally, like at the Secure Operations Center, hey, uh, there's this workstation where some software is doing weird stuff at the clipboard. Mm, I see. That's interesting. You know, the, the clipboard manager I use in macOS, for example, uh, you can disallow certain things from being put in the history. Like, so you yeah. can say, you know, don't, don't, anything that comes from my password manager. Uh, you know, let's leave that be. Yeah, that's a real neat feature. Actually, I, I was just the other day sort of getting annoyed at that feature uh, on the MySQL database. It does not save <laughs> any uh, any command that contains the word password in the history. And, you know, as a Unix nerd, always, you know, doing your cursor up, you rather, uh, rather go right. 20 lines back in your history than typing LS. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but all of the um, all of the lines that contain the word password, and this was like a database where I tracked some SH passwords that we had from our honeypot, so that term yeah. came up a lot. It was a little bit annoying, but yes, yeah, so that's the feature you're looking for. Uh, you want to kind of limit what data is being sent to your clipboard. I don't say avoid it. You can't really avoid it because you want to have these complete complex passwords, so you often do have to copy-paste them. Right, right. And yeah, isn't it fascinating how it's that balance, you know, yep. between uh, convenience and security, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the age-old problem we've got here. Like you just have a simple password, put it on a post and you don't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> just stick it to the bottom of your keyboard. I don't yeah. understand what the problem is. Yeah. All right. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The nighttime sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head fever so you can rest medicine. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Be sure to check out our Research Saturday program this weekend, my interview with Craig Williams and Matt Olney from Cisco Talos on their NotPetya and Olympic Destroyer research. It's a good one. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Faziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. See you here next week. 